From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady is in the house, ready to answer your questions. If you'd like to speak with Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 you can always send us an email openline at ewtn.com or you can text your question text the letters ewtn to 55000 wait for a response text your first name and your question message and data rates may apply I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Thursday, Dominican Father Brian Milady. How are you? Just fine, thank you. Are you are you uh, are you gallivanting about, or are you at home Not in yet. Portland? Not yet. Not yet. When Lent begins, we are we are preparing to gallivant. Right. <laughs> Very good. So today you wanted to talk a little bit at the top of the program about one of the virtues, uh, in particular the virtue of prudence. Right. Yeah, uh, they're basically, according to, well, philosophical tradition, uh, there are uh, four cardinal virtues. And one is in the intellect, knowing the truth, but... Uh, it's also a virtue that's very strange because it's in the will, too. Uh, one is in the will alone, that's justice. And then fortitude and temperance are basically found in our feelings. Today we have a great crisis of truth, but it's not just theoretical truth. It's also practical truth. What should I do here and now? Now, the cardinal virtues is a classic doctrine of philosophy, but it's not just in philosophy. The Catechism of the Catholic Church remarks this in 1805. Four virtues play a pivotal, that's where the word cardinal comes from, a role and accordingly are called cardinal. All the others are grouped around them. They are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. If anyone loves, this is a quotation from uh, the Book of Wisdom, if anyone loves righteousness, wisdom's labors are virtues. For she teaches temperance and prudence, justice and courage. And then it very graphically states these virtues are praised under other names in many passages of Scripture. So our traditional idea of prudence would not just be something that philosophy or reason discovers, but also something that's taught to us in our religion. Now, what is prudence? 
Prudence is knowing how to apply theoretical truth to practical life. It basically has three movements, all of which are necessary for it to be properly formed. The ability to take counsel, in other words, to do research on what possible choices you have. The ability to make a judgment, because if all you did was take counsel, but you never make a judgment, you never make a decision, and you certainly never do an action. And then finally, and this is its final perfection or completion, command, where you command the action. Uh, hearing the word is fine, but as James says this week in one of the his epistle, be hearers of the word not only, but doers also. So you have to carry it out in practice. Uh, the formation of prudence is extremely important because this is where you internally apply the moral law, and it becomes a part of you, not just a part of what someone else is telling you. So a good bit of moral education turns around the ability to form prudence. And it's not just um, like case studies or something like that. It's where you have a sense, you develop a sense of what the law of God and truth have in store for us. Also, interestingly enough, remember that this is one of the only virtues that also involves the will. So therefore, you have to apply it. Now, the implication of this is in a negative sense that prudence is the only form of knowledge that is not lost by forgetting it. Prudence is lost by contented worldliness. So it's no wonder today in the society that we live in that many people who do actions which are contrary to God's law, don't really develop a proper prudence about what the truth should be in society. And even if they could write you a paper about it, it's very difficult for them to actually apply it. So contented worldliness is where we have to strike when it comes to trying to develop what prudence really is. And... Uh, the carrying out of this in the will is uh, so important. It's, prudence is like conscience, only conscience ends with the judgment you should do this or not. In prudence, you actually carry out the judgment on an everyday level. And interestingly enough, Aristotle has a famous principle in his ethics. As a person is formed, so does the good seem to him. So in other words, if, you're, if you've been committing sexual sins, let's say, throughout your whole life, that colors your attitude toward what the good of sexuality really is. Or if you've been doing cowardly acts throughout your whole life, if you look on prudence, for example, as tactics to get out of things, not to be involved, not to make judgments or, or, uh, or um, uh, be a part of moral decisions to absent yourself from life, basically, then so the safety seems to be the only real choice for doing the good. And therefore, it's no wonder that we've destroyed in the Western world through things like contraception, through contented worldliness, through materialism, our whole ability not only to resist evil, but also to stand fast in the face of of what could be the corruption of the moral law. It's therefore important for us to remember that first and foremost, 
we have to know what the truth is before we can actually do it. And therefore, the foundation of doing just acts or courageous acts or temperate acts has to be forming your judgments in prudence. Prudence is not um, non, non-involvement in life, you know, never volunteering for anything and hiding. It's rather entering deeply into life when it's necessary and also uh, participating in the realization of the good, even if it means sometimes you suffering and being harmed by it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, once again, that number is one 205 271-2985. And if you are from outside the United States and Canada, then uh, we will put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline at ewtn.com. And you can put something like uh, EWTN's Open Line Thursday or Father Brian Milady or something like that in the subject line, and we'll get it to the appropriate location. And then you can also text your question to Father Brian. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. If you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, You can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And uh, Jeff Burson, our magnificent uh, social media maven, is monitoring that throughout the course of the program, and uh, he will put those up as he sees fit, the questions that you're answering on social media. Again, it's EWTN's Open Line Thursday. If you'd like to be part of the program, the toll-free number is 833 288-EWTN that's 833-288-3986 grab one of these open phone lines we'd love for you to be part of the conversation any question that you may have on your mind regarding the Catholic faith everything is fair game as we talk today with Father Brian Milady on EWTN's Open Line Thursday This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, you can stay informed and educated with the latest news and truth on abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, and the culture of death on EWTN Pro-Life Weekly with Prudence Robertson. And we can send EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly directly to your email inbox every week. Just visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. Two lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 
833-288-3986. First up today is Veronica in the great state of North Carolina listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Veronica, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, thank you so much. You know, I'm driving and I even, I'm here now at the parking lot with my taking notes in my t-shirts because what Father said about the virtues belonging to realms of the intellect, the will, and emotion, it, it, it's incredibly, it, it just sounded very important to me, something that I've been like thinking and praying about. Um, but I don't completely understand it, and I was not able to hear exactly. I know that somewhere in the intellect, and like uh, he said, knowledge, and then in the will, justice. But I didn't get them all. So if he could repeat all that, and can I explain exactly what that means as much as he can, I would appreciate. Very good. I'll be happy to do that. The whole issue of where the virtues reside is an attempt to explain why all four of these um, developing these qualities is necessary to make one single moral decision well. And the basic powers of the soul, according to Catholicism, which they, we really take from the Greek philosophers, are the intellect in which truth is known, the will in which the good is loved, the passions which have to do with really enjoying good, really hating evil, and then courage or hope in pursuing the good or avoiding evil. And in order for a person to be mature and for them to be holistic, to have what we would call integrity, all four of these are necessary because if you miss one, it compromises the others. So let's say I'm a very powerful personality. I have great courage, but I have courage for the sake of something evil. Let's say I'm a Nazi who's fighting battles in order to be able to persecute Jews. Well, I may be very courageous, but I'm not courageous in a human sense because I'm courageous for evil and falsity. Or let's say I'm a doctor who uh, is a very excellent physician. So as far as how to carry on an operation, I may have prudence, but I do it for evil purposes, for the sake of sterilization. Well, that's not an integrated action either. And no matter how good a physician I might be, I'm a very bad man. <laughs> so it's important to see that in order for us to have a holistic choice about anything, and this means that we allow our souls to be reduced from what we're able to do to actual formation so that we really love the good and really hate the evil, that properly formed intelligent human choices in which the passions participate are necessary. Unfortunately, many people, they'll emphasize just one to the expense of another, and that, that's not integrity. So, uh, I remember I gave a class of the virtues once to some sisters. And at the end of the class, one of the sisters raised her hand and she said, Now let me get this straight, we're supposed to enjoy being virtuous? <laughs> 
And I said, well, yes, in a properly ordered soul, of course you enjoy being virtuous. Because all virtue is is you're taking the powers of your soul and you're implementing them in such a way, in a human way, by choice, that they all go together and participate in the good. And, of course, you'll notice that this is very much related to the issue of what constitutes a mortal sin, too. Remember, there are three requirements, full knowledge, complete consent, and the thing has to be contrary to human nature in a significantly uh, deep way. Well, to have full knowledge and complete consent, you have to have not only your intellect present to know the truth, but you also have to have your passions that are supporting your will. So you really love the good and really hate evil. That supports you. Now, of course, we don't believe that morals is totally about feelings. But if, you're, if your passions or your feelings are properly formed, they're tools that support your expanse of your character in this very human way. So all four of those powers, because there are two powers in the emotions, um, one of which has to do with loving the good, the other of which has to do with seeking to attain it when it's difficult, which is where things like anger and courage uh, reside. All four of those potentials all have to go together in one single human choice. That's why morals education is so difficult, number one. And number two, why we should see what a varied creature a human being is. So anyway, that's, that's it. Thanks, Veronica. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Frank is a first-time caller in the great state of North Carolina. You're number one in North Carolina today, Father. He's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Frank, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, yeah, my question has to do with what you said earlier about prudence. Uh, it all stems from an argument I had with somebody I know, um, they said that their neighbor was using drugs, but it didn't affect them in any way. And so they would never say anything to them. And so I judged that as a cowardly act. I didn't want to confront him. And I didn't realize if I heard you right, you said that it has to do with prudence. So first the prudent thing would be to determine that that's wrong. And then the second thing would be to will it so that Will the justice like to go there and say you're doing something wrong? And is that cowardly for them not to do those things? Did I understand that right? That's my question. Yes, I think you did, except that you need to think more about it, and you need to make more distinctions. Morals is not an easy area. So the question becomes, do you have any authority to tell that person that? Now, if you're an authority, let's say you're the police chief, then you have an obligation to do it. If you're not, the issue becomes if you think the correction would be received in such a way that it would actually alter the person's behavior or would it make them more obstinate in what they want. And um, this relates to the whole issue of fraternal correction in the Gospels. If my brother sins, how often should I tell him? Well, in religious life, we have a problem with this all the time. Because fraternal correction is important. When Thomas Aquinas approaches this issue, he says, well, yes, we do have an obligation to correct our brothers. But remember, the person, purpose of correction is the amendment of the evildoer. Now, if you're in prudence because of who this person is, 
who you are, what the situation is about. Prudence is hard to develop because it entails all these different things you have to think about. You're pretty sure the correction would make the person more obstinate in doing what they were doing and they just ignore you. Then you have an obligation not to say anything because it would make the situation worse. And not only that, but when I was a novice, of course, we had a lot of novices who were very zealous to correct everybody else's faults, <laughs> not their own, but everybody else's faults. And I remember my novice master telling me, yes, brothers, we do have an obligation to correct our brothers, but it should be done humbly, always admitting that you're not perfect either. It should be done quietly not raising your voice in order for the person to be open to listening to what you have to say, and rarely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, prudence, if you think that you could help the person uh, and they'd be open to it because of friendship or something you have with them, then you would have an obligation of some sense to say something. And if you wouldn't, you'd be kind of be guilty of cowardice. But those are a lot of things to put together and process. Is that helpful for you, Frank? That is. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. We appreciate it. We're going to go right down the street from you in Portland, Oregon, Father. Brenda is listening on Simple Radio app. Brenda, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. My question is related to um, how respectfully you treat cremated remains from a body. My son uh, recently passed away, and uh, he was cremated, but he was blessed in the last rites. And anyway, um, as luck would have it, and I won't go into all of why it happened, um, his remains will not fit into the urn that I picked out for him. So basically what that means is that I feel like I have split his body because there's a small portion that's put into another little special container that's going to be placed in a crypt with his father. But it's just weighing on me because I've always believed that you treat those ashes just like you were a body. And um, I, I just need to know if that's okay. I mean, I did what I had to do, but anyway, I hope that makes sense. Well, it does make sense. I just have a question, though. Why can't you get a bigger urn? Well, that's a whole different story. It had to be special ordered, and uh, there wasn't enough time to do when, when it... Anyway. Yes, but why don't you get it now, and then you can just transfer all the things to one and then bury it? Well, because of the time. Time limits. Uh, are there time limits to burying cremated bodies? I mean, my mother, well, she, she was cremated. She, My father was cremated, but he was a service person, and they couldn't bury him because all these people were getting killed in Afghanistan in the government cemetery, and he wasn't buried for three months until after he died. But he was buried. He wasn't scattered or anything like that. Oh, no, no, never do that, never. No. So what I need to do then is, even though I have this small portion, I just need to buy a bigger urn. So that he's well, it's a solution. One. I mean, they do sell them. <laughs> it's a solution. Now, Brenda, uh, in the in the scenario that you described earlier, would the the larger urn and the smaller urn be in the same crypt? Probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I. Yeah. Okay. There you go. 
just I was. A but I mean, if you wanted to solve your conscience about this, uh, why can't you just buy a bigger urn? You know, if you want to, pu- yeah. If you're as long as you're burying them, that's fine too. Don't put them on the mantle though. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Brenda. We appreciate the call. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN is our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. It's open line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. A couple of open lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Marie in the great state of Wisconsin listening on the EWTN app. Marie, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, What can we do for you today? Yeah, thank you. My question is, um, does God have a preferred response um, when it comes to our passions? And then how, if so, how do we learn that or develop that? And can we help others? Uh, Well, I don't quite know what you mean by preferred response. Um, The passions were created by God. They were created by God to support us in doing the good. And so, if you, uh, if you by, by having a preferred response, you mean should we consider our passions good in themselves or evil in themselves? Neither one. They're there. They're natural factors, but they're there for a reason to help support our moral lives. So, in human beings, uh, we have a similar experience of passions to the animals, like being angry when pain occurs and uh, hurting and sorrow and all those things but we have a further response that is because in our souls we have a spirit the intellect and will our passions are naturally born to be obedient to reason not destroyed by reason obedient to reason so they're not sublimated as freud thought instead they're assumed or assimilated into the higher self so, for example, anger. Christians have a lot of trouble with anger. Many people think anger to become angry is always evil. Well, it's not. God created anger. Why? Because anger helps us to resist evil, our own evil, and the evil of other people, too. A person who can never feel anger. Now, I don't say get angry. I say feel anger. In other words, I'm not talking about its expression, but the inner uh, emotion. A person who can never feel anger is easily victimized by evil. And so part of our morals education is the human formation of the passions, which again is to assume them into the higher self, not destroy them, not pretend they don't exist, but to form them in such a way that they support the higher self or for our free choices in, in good and evil, not color our judgment, but instead help us to carry out well what we have judged to be good or what we don't want to experience as evil. So if that's what you mean by preferred response, yes, the Lord does have a preferred response when it comes to the passions. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. That's the number Cheryl used in Lake Havasu, Arizona, watching us today on YouTube. Cheryl, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Oh, thank you very much, Father, for taking my call. I have a very good question for you. It's regarding a satanic evil. Out here in Scottsdale, Arizona, I don't know if you heard about this on, on the news or not, but no. there is an evil satanic group out here. They're calling themselves Satan Con. Now, besides prayer, what else can we do? Can we go out there to protest? And if we use prudence against them, would that leave us wide open for their attack? So this is Father. If you're not familiar, in Scottsdale, there's they're having this 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 group is putting on. You know how they have these comic book conventions and superhero conventions called Comic Con, and they've taken a page from that book and they're calling it Satan Con, and they're having it oh. Scottsdale, uh, uh, Arizona Convention Center. It is completely sold out, and uh, so she's that's that's what she's referring to with regard to you know what can can we do other than than praying. Well, if it's sold out, I doubt there's much you can do about it at all, except to let people know perhaps you'd like to, you know, have a, a kind of protest uh, that this is evil. But they have to be allowed, as you know, to do what they want. Some for a lot of people, especially those people in the West Coast, this is more a matter of kind of stupidity where they just, anything that's weird, they like. Um, but I'm sure there are some Satanists there for sure. Uh, and as you know, there's Satan, Satanic things in schools now, uh, Satan clubs. Uh, I, I don't know. But the important thing is to, if you are able to do this, to let people know, at least as far as you can, that this is uh, very dangerous for one thing, spiritually. And, and she was kind of wondering if they were to maybe demonstrate at, outside of the event would they be opening themselves up to, uh, you know, spiritual attacks? I assume so, uh, but, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the whole country is full of spiritual attacks at the moment, <laughs> so I'm not sure it would be any much more than the media or this, the satanic clubs of these schools or any of that business. But um, not, if you mean, like, possession... No, I don't think it would be quite that severe. But, of course, uh, Satan doesn't want any good to happen. We know this in religious communities because there are lots of strange things that happen in religious communities, not in the sense of the paranormal, but just in the sense of getting along that wouldn't, get, wouldn't uh, pass muster in an ordinary living situation because you don't live so closely. And Satan doesn't want us to be happy and live together in Christ. So he'll use every weakness we have against us to try to create dissension. Sometimes I come and I, in the communities I live in, I'll say, is there something in the water in this place? <laughs> <laughs> um, because it, it's not normal, some of the stuff. And um, people have these total overreactions uh, to things that most people would be too busy earning a living to do or something like that. So anyway, that's my answer. 
Beautiful. Thanks, Cheryl. And don't underestimate the power of just simply praying the rosary. Right. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head next to Terre Haute, Indiana. Connie is a first-time caller listening on Redeemer Radio. Connie, welcome to the program. Thank you. I have just a general Catholic question for Father. Um, my The holy water that we get at our church has been blessed by our, we have a Franciscan parish, so it's been blessed. But my aunt was telling me that water needs to also be blessed with salt, not just with a priest's hand. And I didn't understand, but she's a pretty strict Catholic. I was wondering if you could explain the difference between Regular holy water being blessed, and is there a special type of blessing for holy water with salt? Well, there is no difference, actually. However, the old ritual demanded that blessed salt be used also, the pre-Vatican II ritual. And part of that is because of the whole symbolism of life and, you know, the life coming from the ocean, salty water and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, really, the present ritual does not demand that. And so the holy water would be equally blessed by either one. So there we have priests that like to use the blessed salt because they're more traditional and people who just follow the present ritual and omit it. In either case, the holy water would be blessed. Thanks, Connie. We appreciate that phone call today. We've got plenty of time for your phone calls and a couple of open lines for you at 833 833- 288-EWTN, that's 833-288-3986. We received a text from Joel, and his question is, is God's will for our lives mutable or immutable? Well, God's will for our lives is immutable, but his immutable will depends sometimes on our decisions. He makes a certain effect depend upon us as the cause. So he doesn't force us to do it. He knows what we're going to choose. But you've got to remember, God looks at things from eternity, not from time. So as far as he's concerned, the end of the world has already happened. But some effects he makes dependent upon the free uh, person's free will choice to do this or to do that, even though he knows what he's going to do. So his will is immutable from one point of view, but from another point of view, that immutable will is carried out often through mutable choices on the part of human beings. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We have an email from a lady who identifies herself simply as M., and she says, I'm a new Catholic convert at age 60, praise the Lord. She said, Praise the Lord. <laughs> she said, my question is regarding the timeline of the nativity and subsequent events. Okay, so Jesus is born. Then at the completion of the appointed time for purification, he is presented at the temple, and a prophecy is received as well as a blessing. The Bible said the Holy Family then went home to Nazareth. So where does the Magi visit, the angel warning, the flight to Egypt, the murder of the innocents fall in this story? Was the temple visit on the eighth day for Jesus' circumcision? I can't find the correct order of events for some reason. No particular reason. I just wanted to get this story logically ordered in my head. Mm. 
Well, you got to remember that different uh, texts in Scripture emphasize different things. So, yes, the presentation, I believe, occurred at the normal time. Uh, going home and being subject to them in Nazareth, though, I, I, uh, I know that that happens after the 12-year-old, uh, you know, finding in the temple. But there, perhaps the evangelist just wants to omit the rest of that episode and jump to Nazareth to show uh, Christ's um, sacred humanity and how he carried out his childhood. But the the general events would be uh, certainly that they uh, were in Bethlehem when the Magi incident occurred and also when they fled into Egypt because of the massacre of the innocents. But then eventually, of course, they did wind up in Nazareth after Herod died. So it's possible that the evangelist was just telescoping all that together then. Uh, next up is John Michael in the great state of Ohio, listening on St. Gabriel Radio. John Michael, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. I have a quick question about God's love. This question came from a discussion my Catholic roommates and I were having. And essentially the question is, does God love or favor certain children more than others? Uh, well, as far as uh, God's offer of his final experience, the experience is the same for everyone, namely God's vision. And this is reflected in the parable of the 11th hour, where, as you know, some people work one hour, some people work ten, but they all receive the same reward. However, some people receive a help in this, a special act of God's favor, so that they're able to pursue it in a more uh, efficacious way. Uh, obviously, there's a hierarchy in heaven because as far as receiving the reward, some people are better prepared to receive the reward than others. And the classic line for that is, that's merit, what we call merit. And we don't merit anything by strict equality from God. By strict equality, he offers everyone the same reward. But in a proportionate inequality, each person does what they're able to do. So, for example, there was, there's no one that would be more loved by God than she whom he chose to be his mother. That doesn't make our love of him any less, but what it does mean is that we uh, have a call to experience seeing God in a different way. It is a mystery, this, in the final analysis. Little Flower, remember, reflected on this, and she couldn't understand why some people receive so many helps, like Paul, who was gave a special revelation by God on the road to Damascus, and yet other people in pagan countries die without even receiving any help of that kind anyway, because everybody has sufficient help to be saved. And this is when she decided that the experience of heaven was like a garden, and the garden had different kinds of flowers, but as long as you were in the hands of the good Jesus, it didn't matter what kind of flower you were, and, and all the flowers were necessary to make the bouquet beautiful. And that's when she said she was a little flower there. 
and that's where her name comes from, you know, her, what's attributed her, the little flower. So, yes, everyone receives the same reward. In that sense, God loves everyone equally. But in the sense that he gives some people more helps than others, uh, he could be said to have a more special love for some than others. I could be wrong about this, but I recall people ask mothers, for example, that have maybe eight children, if they love all their children equally. <laughs> and most of the honest mothers will say, well, I love them all, but I don't love them all in the same way. <laughs> so uh, and we used to say when we were teachers, no teacher has favorites. Right. <laughs> uh, you, you don't relate to some better than to others. Now, of course, all these are based on God's gifts, so he helps to support us in our choices and things like that. But it was it's a mystery why he gives some people so many gifts and not as many gifts to others, except for the fact that otherwise we'd have an awfully monotonous experience of heaven because we'd all be absolutely the same. <laughs> so it's not a monotonous thing. It's a, a communion of saints with all kinds of different people with different gifts. You know, I heard a mother of a large family once say, I love them all the same. I don't like them all the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We're here to check out Family Theater Classic Radio this Sunday and every Sunday at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Nathan in the great state of Virginia listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Nathan, you're on with Father Brian Malady. Hi. Hi, Nathan. What's Hi. your question today? Oh, I've been a lifelong Catholic, and I was away from the church for a while, my teen years. Returned and was the process of rejoining the church and such. Uh, gone through some things in my personal life, and I mean, I, my professional life is doing very well, but... It seems like the more I pray in my personal life, the less progression there is in it. And I speaking to my priest, his question was, well, do you still believe in God? Like, yes, but to be honest, it feels like I'm, it's working against me. Not your belief in God is working against you? Kind of, yes. Uh, in what way? Just that you don't feel the same things when you pray that you felt before? Just the the continual failures in relationships. Oh. Well, you mean like with a, a, per, a woman or something like that? Yes. And, and to the point of whom I am... You know, I'm dealing with now, very involved in their church. Not it's not a Catholic church. It's not denominational. To where I almost feel like I'm working against her involvement. Well, maybe God doesn't want you to be married to someone who's not Catholic, because you just returned to the church or trying to return. Maybe He thinks that wouldn't be good for you. Is that a possibility? I, I I don't know. That's the, the problem. The, the 
track record I have is not uh, exactly stellar. Well, again, maybe you need some more time. So maybe God wants you to take more time before you go into a relationship. Try to learn better how to do it. You know, and I think, Father, sometimes um, I know that, that Nathan had told our call screener that he feels like his his prayer is for nothing at, at this point. And I know sometimes when we try to take steps forward in the spiritual life, it's not uncommon that we would maybe be met with some resistance uh, to that effort. And I think Mother Teresa and some of the saints have even spoken about this, huh? Uh, well, yes, except that what he does describes to me I don't think is quite the same thing. Um I think you need just need more time, and you need uh, a little more time in your conversion experience and also in developing some prudence, which is what I was talking about, and how you go about relationships. Um, I don't think this is a matter of the dark night of the soul or anything like that, which is where a person begins to experience spiritual maturity, but they perceive it as a lack of maturity because they don't understand the way God works. Um, I would beware of, uh, would also beware of basic my spiritual progress on my feelings or on what I think I've uh, succeeded in carrying on exterior relationships. Uh, you, you need to give it time, say your prayers and things like that. God bless you, Nathan. One good thing you've done is you will have a lot of our listeners that will be praying for you. Yes. Uh, next stop is Rockville, Maryland. Michael is in Rockville listening on Guadalupe Radio. Michael, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hey, how are you doing, Father? Okay. Um, my question is, I work for a non-denominational church, um, and I don't hide the fact that I'm Catholic. I tr- go to Mass. Try and hit every day. It's like, you know, better days when I go than not. Anyway, um, they're very a spiritual church. They have spiritual conversations. A lot of them call themselves recovering Catholic. <laughs> so my question is, I don't, like I said, I don't hide the fact that I'm Catholic, and I often find myself sort of defending the Church, or uh, when they say something about the Church, it's often a misconception that they have, and so I find myself sort of... So what's your question? My question is, is it wrong for me to not go out of my way, I suppose, to tell them that, in fact, I'm a practicing Catholic? Is it wrong? Because sometimes it feels like I'm almost hiding that fact from them, even though they've never necessarily asked. Well, I wouldn't hide it from them, but I wouldn't go out of my way either to tell them. And the reason is because you're, you're working in a place that they don't like the Catholic Church, obviously. If they describe themselves as recovering Catholics, that means that they've rejected our doctrine. Uh, for various reasons, and you, as you rightly say, some of it may be a misunderstanding, but you're really working in kind of a hostile environment there. And uh, if that's the work you want to do and you have to do and it's necessary for your livelihood, well, that's fine. But uh, I wouldn't hide it on the same token. 
I wouldn't be more kind of in your face about it either. Quickly, we'll head to uh, Philip, who is in Phoenix, Arizona, listening on iHeartRadio. Philip, just a couple minutes left with Father Brian. What's your question today? Uh, yes, Father. My wife and I uh, started RCIA process and were unable to finish it due to uh, illness. And we are absolutely Catholic in our heads, but we just haven't finished the process yet. And until we do, I was wondering, is it okay if we take the Eucharist or not, uh, based on hearing some uh, rumors that uh, Pope Francis made it a little easier for people to take the Eucharist. Um, I mean, I heard that Pope Francis said that you didn't have to finish RCIA before you received the Eucharist. Uh, I would highly recommend against that. I don't think that's a good idea. You need to finish the RCIA process. Now, you may have to postpone this for a while, but as soon as you're able to take it up again... Or talk to the priest. If you can't come physically, maybe you can do something on Zoom or something. But you really need to complete the process. Uh, uh, RCIA, you're not Catholic. Have you been baptized? Uh, not Catholic, no. Well, well, but have you been baptized? Yes. All right. And, and, but you haven't received communion. And you weren't a member of the Catholic Church until you, you until you're in the process of becoming one, correct? Uh, no, we were both Protestants. Well, no, I would not go to communion until I made my profession of faith, and you can't do that until you finish RCIA. In most places, so yeah. God bless you, Philip. We will keep you uh, and your wife in uh, our prayers as you continue your journey, which hopefully sooner rather than later will lead you to full communion with the Catholic Church. Father Brian, we are flat out of time. Would you leave us with a blessing? May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, will be in the house taking your questions on theology and church teaching. Until we get together tomorrow, closing out another week of Open Line, God bless.